Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I would like to welcome you to the podcast Trading Patterns. My name is Dimitri Kirchev. I'm going to be your host. With me is Mr. Nikolai Stoikov. Glad to be here, Mr. Kirchev. Good to have you here again. Okay, so this week's topic is going to be about the integrity of investment returns. So far, we talked about integrity of teachers teacher. and role models. Yes. Then we went on to discuss the integrity of the investment vehicle. And right now, we have arguably the most important, in my opinion, integrity of investment returns. Yes. It is, if you uh, can fake that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be difficult. Uh, maybe it's given enough time, probably impossible. So uh, you could fake it for a, for a short time or for some time, but not for a very, very long time. Yes. One of the first things I would like to start off with is the fact that financial services in general, are intangible services. Mostly, it's built on trust. Wow, you sound like a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because last time you mentioned that in order to verify with certainty, we need to take into consideration at least 20 years? Yes, um, that's very hard to, it's very hard to accept, but um, in reality, that's what it takes, at least 20 years at least when you experience, if it's more, it would be even better. Uh, somebody says that uh, kind of the statistical significance comes at 40-year uh, public track record. So um, even 20 might not be enough, but let's assume that for all practical purposes, very few people are kind of in the Warren Buffett camp where you have 60-plus years of investment experience, verifiable. So, yeah, <laughs> we need to loosen our standards for certainty. <laughs> We're really big fans of Warren Buffett on this podcast. It seems like we kind of mention him almost every single podcast. Because, um, I mean, that's an outlier. It's, um, I guess credit is due when it's earned. And um, there could be other styles that other people that have produced a very, um, very enviable returns. But what he has done consistently is uh, really out of this world. And you don't need to necessarily like him that much um, in order to respect him. But if you like him, it's easier to respect him. <laughs> How can something so popular these days be at the same time so, how should I say it, something so popular be so suspicious maybe <laughs> to the conscious <laughs> investor? <laughs> well, I should say when I uh, first got into the U.S., I basically came as a student, and that was in the far, far away time, 1993. I remember the, my dad told me, uh, yeah, keep in mind uh, all markets, especially stock market, is a scam. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be there to like monitor what you do with your money, but don't invest. And um, I didn't. Uh, yes, investing is dangerous, and uh, it's full of people that um, kind of commercialize or popularize certain ideas and um, not many of those ideas or majority of them are probably not what I call integrous ideas. So people have relatively bad experience. So there is a Turkish proverb that says, if you burn yourself on hot milk, you tend to blow even on yogurt. <laughs> 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 so, uh, yes, um, the majority of the people have negative experience, or at least some negative experience with financial markets or financial instruments. So that's understandable. 
Yes. Yeah, that thing about your dad, I think all dads are like that. Yeah, that seems to be seems to be like what kind of many people, many families kind of fostering their children. Not necessarily unjustifiable. It takes a while to make a distinguishing distinguishment between what's a good investment and what's a bad investment. And people tend to gravitate towards what's been successful recently and project the recent returns into the future. In reality, that's uh, kind of dangerous. Uh, in general, good investments are made when they're not popular. When investment becomes popular, it probably risk is relatively high. <laughs> what Warren Buffett says is conduct your affairs opposite to how other people conduct theirs. In that sense, is if people are more optimistic, you should be relatively cautious. It doesn't mean that you should sell your position, just be cautious. If people are panicking and selling, maybe there is no need to be that cautious. <laughs> right to the core yes. of today's episode, we're going to be discussing at least two people. Wow. Yeah, at least two investors, traders. Uh, but you don't know them. Managers <laughs> of... Uh, I'm entitled to have an opinion. <laughs> you are. You are. Based on the statistical data, yeah. we are entitled. To. We're probably going to get a lot of... Uh, I wouldn't go as far as saying hate, but we're going to get some interesting comments about the we're individuals. We're going to try to be balanced, good and bad. Yeah. Most people are good and bad. Even Warren Buffett is not perfect. He makes <laughs> mistakes. Just not all the time. <laughs> yeah. So first on the list yes. is Mark Minervini. Wow, you're going for the jugular. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you have a trading floor yes, in Alaric Securities. Yes. And a lot of your traders are actually huge fans of Mark Minervini. What do you have to say about that? In general, are you familiar with Mark Minervini and his work? In general, I am. Um, I first heard Mark Minervini um, kind of names mentioned by our traders maybe a year ago. My first memory when I heard the name, I was like, that's a stage name. <laughs> this, guy, <laughs> this guy's name must be Mark Marinovich or something like that. <laughs> and uh, started to research and said, okay, um, traders are listening or looking for guidance from that guy. Let's uh, see what he's about. And the strange thing is that uh, there is very little known about him. Um, his actually biography it starts relatively, um, I'm guessing, working somewhere on Wall Street. I'm guessing somewhere in the 20s. And they do have a protocol for kind of uh, profiling or maybe kind of trying to discern what's an integrous person from not integrous person, what is integrous teacher from not integrous teacher, what uh, integrous results are versus not integrous. It doesn't mean that I'm right, but it's just a protocol. The first one is um, something that I borrowed from basketball. They say you can't teach height. Right? I mean, it's very obvious if uh, Michael Jordan is probably, in my opinion, the best basketball player. He's tall. He's not the tallest person um, in the NBA. He's probably about average size, but he's much taller than the average person. And it's very unlikely that somebody is the average height the population is one of the best uh, basketball players. So in that particular sense, we try to gauge the intelligence, the IQ of people. 
and the IQ uh, of people is best gauged by some academic success, despite what more people think is some sort of IQ test or the Mensa International Test, which is 30 minutes. I don't think those tests are actually quite accurate. You need something longer term. And in my experience, really good traders tend to be exceptionally intelligent. They have not always shown necessarily best grades or be the valedictorian of the, the class at university or in high school, but they've shown some uh, very impressive academic results, at least in a few areas. Uh, he might hate his literature teacher and decides that he doesn't want to write essays, but usually he'll be attracted to games, to math. In that particular sense, there is nothing we could learn from Mark Manevini in his childhood. Um, Warren Buffett was a valedictorian of his Columbia um, class, and there is quite a few traders that I've known that have been very, very impressive early on. Um, that was kind of strange. Um, the other thing that really kind of puzzled me is that, okay, this guy says that he's uh, the best trader in the world. Well, it's certainly the results that... I just want to stop you there, just yeah. for a moment. So in your opinion, history matters. Where a person come from, comes from, a successful person comes from. Yes. We really need to go back in history and learn from that. Yes, I mean, uh, check it. Yes, um, our talents begins to show very early on, very early on. So in that particular sense, what you liked or what you attracted, what you could do when you're a teenager relative to your peers, um, it tends to stay like that. I mean, they manifest in the teenage years at the latest, but they're present very early on, even before that. So in that particular sense, you can't teach height. Somebody could be normal uh, height and then just suddenly grow up in his teenager years uh, beyond the relative kind of his uh, peers. But in reality, most often people that are tall tend to be tall very early on. But uh, sometimes there is a delay, but in reality that happens. It's, if somebody is athletic, um, he's very likely to show this talent very early on. It's possible that some people show it early, early 20s, like Steve Jobs. I guess, like, you know, he was really not focused. Uh, he was 20, uh, up until he was 20. But that being said, um, this is like a very unusual pattern. And usually we see this some sort of achievement record very early on, very early on. It's very unlikely um, somebody just suddenly starts producing record in his 30s. Uh, it's, it's usually, it's uh, in my experience, it it could happen, but I have not seen it. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it does. It maybe it doesn't exist. <laughs> All right, uh, three hundred plus percent. Yeah, return per if it, year. If that was real, <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to say about that? He won the what was the challenge called? Uh, the U.S. Stock Trading Championship. Yeah, the U.S. Stock Trading Championship. I've never even he heard won it of that. Numerous times. I haven't even heard of that. Like, I mean, who, who, who goes to that the championship? You gotta admit, the first time you heard it was because of Mark Minervini, right? Yes, I never heard of that. I mean, I've worked on Wall Street like over 15 years, and yeah, never even <laughs> heard of that. Nobody cares about that. Um, the results, I have some questions about uh, the track record. Uh, this is, uh, I don't know if you want to go into it. But people fake track records, and uh, until you see the track record and see who the broker. Um, this person used. Um, 
to produce that track record? Uh, that could answer, or I guess, um, raise more questions inside you. But I haven't seen the track record. But that's not like the most significant part. Most significant part is that, despite this impressive track record, Mark Minibidin is a writer. Yes. And people say, no, Nikolai, he's a trader. No, he's a writer. <laughs> um, and the reality is, imagine this, if Steve Jobs, and you decide that you could do computers better than IBM, what do you do? You open a garage and uh, you start producing Macs, Macintosh computers. Well, what does Mark Minivini do with his talents trading? He opens a website and uh, tries to sign you to be his mailing list. Um, we don't know if he trades or how he trades. What we do know is that he writes. He's a, he's a writer. <laughs> yeah, several books, no? Several books, yes, too. Yeah, several books. That's an interesting pattern, people that tend to pop out books all the time. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I have many patterns like that. Uh, but yeah, in reality, is uh, what we verifiably know is that he's a writer. If he's a trader or not, I don't have that information. Um, there is one particular thing that, uh, despite all this, despite all this, I actually bought one of his books. I was like, I could be wrong. You actually bought the book? Yes, Mark I bought Mary. the book. I, it's going to be a highlight. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't think that the book was worth it, but um, I had some very, very tough questions. Uh, pretty sure that I was going to decide it was non-integrious. I decided to read the book. And pretty much the essence of the book is uh, the prices show everything. And that's one of the things that I definitely disagree with it. And this is some sort of a personal philosophy, is the best results of any particular activity comes from you seeing things that other people don't see. And one of the patterns I've identified um, in order to do that is, is her mother fat or not? <laughs> so in reality, what happens is what the daughter looks like until her 20s um, could be very attractive, but if her mother is relatively overweight, he'll gain weight, she'll gain weight. And vice versa, if the mother is thin, um, that woman usually can have kids and um, basically probably will not gain weight. That's a very significant pattern. I've seen this like many times over. In that particular sense, you cannot make a, di uh, a difference between two girls in their 20s, but if one uh, has a mother that's overweight, um, she'll probably gain weight. And that's not going to be in the prices. That's not going to be in the history. In that particular sense, um, yes, my opinion, identifying the mother of the things that you're trading could be, could be something the market is discounting or wrong, just because it hasn't manifested itself. And my experience is that people that trade only on price action alone rarely show over the long run um, impressive results. That's um, it's kind of strange, but it is true. It is true, in my opinion. <laughs> so price action is not enough? Price action is a good starting point, but that's what everybody sees. In that particular sense, um, how different is your indicator than everybody else's? In my opinion, that's not enough. <laughs> this, this business is very tough. It's just because there is a lot of smart people. There is a lot of smart people that can analyze those data in very different ways. 
Um, and if they're successful, they're going to raise money very fast. And um, it's difficult to keep up with smart people. Very difficult. So you know, the only thing that consistently gives you edge is you do find something that um, most people don't see or discount consistently. Consistently. Okay, to wrap it up about Mark Nervini, with all due respect to him. Yes. Or maybe, or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> you bought his book, I didn't. So north of 200% annual return consistently with a $1 million plus account, possible or not? Not. Not. I mean, I explained this to, to like a guy that he was athletics and said, what happens to you if you do uh, lose 10 kilograms a month? 10 kilograms is about 25 pounds, something like that. It's possible. Professional boxers do it. What's not possible is to do it consistently. And for most people, if you lose 25 pounds a month or 100, uh, 10 kilograms, if you've never kind of had such a dramatic weight loss, um, that's a shock actually, to the body. Yeah, you'll get sick. Something would break. Uh, <clears throat> many of the returns that people are taunting, like uh, 300% a year, 200% a year, or something like that, are very excessive, and uh, nobody has consistently done it. Um, yes, to me, anything in excess of 50% unlevered return is um, probably not sustainable. And even 50 is relatively high. Um, as your capital grows, uh, it probably will be a lot less. All right. Thank you for your input, for Mr. Minervini. Next on the list is, he's uh, a big one, Jim Simons. Ah, I pronounce it Simmons. I still don't know. I did my research. Some people call him Simmons. Some people call him Simons. All right. Let's be, let's be, let's be respectful of your research and his name. Okay, we'll call him Jim Simons, even though um, usually people... I heard him called Simmons, but they may could be could be not uh, that knowledgeable about the pronunciation. Okay, for the sake of the podcast, yes. let's call him Simons. Simons, Mr. Simons. Okay, so uh, a lot of a lot of controversy about this one. Uh, I personally have met people that work in asset management companies that are really big fans just because they can't invest in his fund and they don't have the track record. Basically, what they have is his word, saying that he consistently does like eighty percent. Yeah, yeah, that's he's on the Forbes list, and like uh, Mark Minervini, which who claims to be the best uh, or one of the best traders, that's actually not on the Forbes list. So that's yeah, um, Mr. Jim Simons, he's actually on the Forbes. He's list. on the Forbes list. His uh, his hedge fund is controlling billions. That's right. Billions. First one is Jim Simons is a professor in computer science, so clearly <laughs> from Harvard or some sort of an Ivy League school. Um, he was a professor of computer science teaching at the SUNY Stony Brook, I believe. Right? But uh, um, somewhere, like in the uh, State University of New York system. So clearly this is a person that's uh, intelligent. So uh, we don't need to worry about that. Um, clearly Forbes has already verified the fact that he's actually very rich. And Forbes is actually a very good source of verified information. And um, clearly he has made money in the markets. What people don't know about him is that while his fund, uh, Renaissance Technology, is closed uh, to clients and has very impressive return uh, for Mr. Simons and his employees. 100 plus percent in 2008, if I'm not something mistaken. Something like that, yeah. something like that. Um, he actually has a uh, fund 
I'm not sure I remember the name, but it's called Renaissance Technology 2, which is all <laughs> opened um, to the public. And that fund has a, a lot smaller, meager returns. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think it's opened in 2004 and has averaged something like 8% a year, which is a lot worse than um, buy and hold SPX, uh, S&P 500 index. So he's underperformed major indices. Uh, as a matter of fact, what prompted my interest in him is when I saw that some of the investors in the public fund are, are suing him because in 2020, um, his Renaissance Technology Fund posted 70% a year uh, gain. That's uh, Renaissance Technology 1. 1. Renaissance Technology 1. His own money uh, posted. <laughs> and Renaissance Technology 2, which is basically the public fund, um, posted a loss of excess of 25%. So they lost more than 25%. And clearly the investors thought that uh, that's probably not right. <laughs> probably, yeah. But uh, the important thing here is the pattern that um, this is a non, uh, people miss certain events and they say, ah, this is an event that happened to that particular person, Jim Simons. And this is not an event that happened to Jim Simons. This is something that regularly happens on uh, Wall Street. Um, somebody touts a vehicle and usually his own money, a majority of his own money, and then he opens a similar vehicle for the public. And that public vehicle tends to have a lot worse returns than the original vehicle. So you've actually seen that happen? Yes, we've like seen that happen. It's not a precedent with... Um, no, it's not a precedent. It happens in many forms, but yes. <laughs> uh, one of the integrity tests is that you can invest in the same vehicle in the same vehicle as the one that's actually being uh, marketed. Uh, when people tell you, well, it's not the same vehicle, but it's similar, uh, you might have a situation like with the one with uh, Jim Simons, where his fund is actually up 70%, and you're down 25%, 30%. And what do you think uh, the response was from Renaissance? I would be pissed if I was one of the investors. Of course you'd be pissed. <laughs> but aren't you curious to say what Renaissance said? I have no idea. Well, they said they're different vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then uh, you can't actually invest in Renaissance Technology it, it, 1. It's like, it's like basically you have two sisters and uh, you want to marry the beautiful one, but... They give you the ugly one. <laughs> the not beautiful one. You're stuck with her. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. Um, this is actually, as I said, when people uh, kind of stumble into those facts, they tend to miss that uh, this is not a kind of isolated incident. This happens. It doesn't happen very often, but uh, has happened before to the fact that as soon as I realized that the returns um, are that good and the vehicle... Um, investment vehicle, Renaissance Technology 1, is close to public. I just said, huh, I wonder if there's public vehicle because that would be very impressive. And voila, there was. It just wasn't anything like <laughs> the original one. <laughs> yeah, so on one hand, we have Mr. Mark Minervini with close to 400% annual return. Supposedly. <laughs> Presumably. <laughs> Uh, all we know from that challenge, from the U.S. stock stock challenge, whatever that is, the championship. So all we know from them is that he's controlling a one million dollar account. We don't yes. know. We don't actually have the information how much money he trades with. But a million dollar plus—that's a considerable amount for a day trader. Oh yeah, 
<laughs> for now. Yes, for day traders, that's a, that's a good amount, yes. On the other hand, we have Mr. Simons, who's controlling tens, nearly hundreds of billions, and he has consistently more than, again, supposedly 80% return. Mm-hmm. From your experience, what do you think is the average feasible return that an investor could possibly pull off? Like, let's say that Warren Buffett was controlling like, what, 20, 50 million dollars. What do you think his return would be? Yes, uh, he has answered that one. I think that Warren Buffett in one of his interviews said that um, unlevered, without using leverage, uh, if he was given freedom of not too much capital, he was almost sure he could make 50%. Um, Yes, in my experience, um, investment returns on capital that is in excess of 20 20 million dollars is very difficult to break 50. 20, 30, that happens, 40 maybe. But in order to get something like above 50, you really have to take excessive returns and uh, get very lucky. And you could get very lucky one year, maybe two, but it's very difficult to get uh, lucky 20 years in a row. Um, Yeah, there is a lot written about this, what should we expect, and uh, tendencies people to expect kind of like Grand Slam during the World Series. I mean, Grand Slam is a very rare event, <laughs> but during the World Series, and that's like, <laughs> really. <laughs> um, yes, in that particular sense, um, I guess the investment returns, what, what attracts people, it tends to be um, commercially marketed investment returns that are not sustainable, usually. So we, the people that don't have access to that much money, we are suckers for such returns. Yes, well, we are attracted to, to attracted to outsized events, to like something that's like you know really attractive, and we think that uh, this is repeatable. And usually, investment returns, especially that high, even above twenty, um, are usually just luck. Usually, just luck. But we tend to assign all the credit to the investment return on our abilities. But any return is usually like a mixture of skill and luck. And once we get lucky, uh, the tendency is to think that we will always get lucky. I was born on a lucky star. <laughs> um, my luck has turned around. From now on, things are going to be <laughs> different for me. And then tends to lower our guard. It's very difficult to kind of balance this in the beginning of a financial career uh, when you're young. You tend to kind of find your balance as years go on, but uh, it's always going to be a struggle. It's always going to be a struggle. Okay, so what are they in such case? Are they traders, investors, or just sales guys? Because if I was a sales guy, if I had a book, mm-hmm. <laughs> if I had an idea for a book, I would do my very best to get famous because if I do get famous with my trading, my book is going to sell well. That's right. <laughs> so how do you call that? How do you call the presentation of excessive returns? Self-promotion. Self-promotion. Um, that That's also a very common pattern. Um, yes, uh, it happens a lot. The reality is that uh, if an investment vehicle an idea is integrous, very few people could actually verify that. And um, usually, uh, most people um, don't bother. Uh, they just want to know, uh, have the opportunity to make money. I was once sitting at the investment committee at the exchange where we were discussing new products, and I was asking the broker, I said, what do customers really want? What do they want to trade? 
What do you think was the answer, Mr. Kirch? He said something that absolutely blew me away. I, th- I figured out he wants some sort of like investment, solid investment vehicle and so forth. He said, no, things that move, they want to trade. <laughs> That's it? That's it. doesn't matter what it is. It is just when it's to move. <laughs> That's going to be an eye-opener for a lot of young people watching this, yeah, listening to so this podcast. It, it, the reality is like people want to trade. I mean, people are attracted to like uh, excitement. They want something that moves. Don't, uh, don't give me something that's good investment and doesn't move. I want to be able to buy it at the bottom and don't sell it at the top. Don't give me bond. Yes, so we want something that moves. And if it moves in some sort of like a, um, very volatile fashion, <laughs> um, people would try to buy the dip and sell the highs. And sometimes that would work out uh, and get lucky. And sometimes they don't. And once they get lucky, tendency is to continue thinking that you continue to get lucky. Yeah, projection. While we are at the topic of luck and continuous projecting that the person is going to get lucky again, I recently read about an investor, about a trader slash investor, Jesse Livermore. Uh huh. You yes. know him, right? Yeah, I know him. Yeah, so... Would nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking in the beginning when I just entered the industry, I was that naive guy that thought there's no such thing as luck. It's all about skills. Wow. Okay. From our conversations, you keep bringing luck up, and it got me thinking. Which book did you read? I read Reminiscences of Stock Operator, How to Trade Stocks. No, I read Psychology of Money. Okay. Yeah, he was mentioned in one of the chapters. Okay. His story, his story really surprised me. Too bad for how it ended for him. Yeah, he killed himself. (laughs) Yeah. So Uh, luck does play a huge part. He got lucky in the in the crisis of 1930 in the 30s. Yeah. So um, if you got this lucky, if you made a hundred million back then, which resembles to God knows how much money right now, yes. would you feel powerful? No, not powerful. Would you feel very experienced? Well, ultimately, uh, what they say, there's different ways to measure investment results. One of the investment uh, results is like sharp ratio, uh, which is basically measures the volatility, but it penalizes you for um, any deviation, even positive. A better ratio to measure investment results is Surtino ratio, which basically uh, measures the volatility of the negative returns or the downside away from the mean returns, however you structure the returns. Um, It's um, basically what happens is uh, there's patterns, and one of the patterns is ability to concentrate and produce results. And then kind of feeling the invincibility of your returns, you tend to loosen up and you walk into a disaster. That happens. It's it's a pattern that you see with traders. And you see it in other walks of life, but with traders, it's actually uh, very obvious. And one of the things, the patterns that Mr. Jesse Levermore exhibited is exactly this pattern of success and failure. He basically went bankrupt three times, and after the third time, he really committed suicide. Um, In that particular sense, that um, it's difficult to say what uh, he would do, but um, when I was uh, training actively, we had a coach that said, character matters on the days you don't feel like doing it. In that particular sense, if you feel like actually training, things come easy. So it's like if you feel well, nothing hurts, you have all the energy, uh, you're going to train well. 
And uh, that particular sense, if the market is kind of moving to what your expectations and you're trading um, consistently, uh, trading plan, um, things will be well. Uh, character matters when you don't feel like doing it, when you feel hurt, when you haven't slept well, or when you haven't really recovered from some sort of injury. Uh, when the market's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, when you're actually experiencing drawdowns, um, basically market goes against you, uh, not just one tick, but maybe days, weeks, maybe even months at a time. What would you do? Would you begin to doubt your position? Would you add? All those things are very decisions that kind of uh, decide your fate. So in that particular sense, what we could say that he obviously had the offensive skills to basically produce winning combinations. But winning games is a mixture between defense and offense. And what we could see with his tendency to go bankrupt is that his defense was porous. Uh, people fantasize about good offensive game, and offense can help you win games. But defense is what makes you win championships. And yes, it's... Uh, but yeah, that's that's a pattern. <laughs> All right, thank you for your input. I say we I say we stop here. I mean, okay. Yeah, we covered in my opinion the most important topics when it comes to integrity of the financial industry. Okay. What should we talk about next? I don't know. I wanted to talk about my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, we could talk about many things. What do you guys think? What we should talk about? Why yeah, why don't you give us some heads up down in the comments or just get in touch with us if you want us to discuss something particular. We have a veteran right here. Yes, yes, yes. I um, want to say that um, I work with traders and I've been working with traders for maybe about seven or eight years. And um, yeah, working with traders is uh, is a challenge, but it's also like a blessing uh, because it's really true that a trader would try hard. I mean, traders are really looking for good advice. It's just they rarely get it. They rarely get it. Uh, I would say that most people that are not traders are not really looking for advice. They're looking for validation of what they already believe in. But traders are a very kind of tortured uh, profession, and uh, they're always looking for something. You can always find a trader in the self-help book. So <laughs> self-help book section. <laughs> when there were bookstores. <laughs> now you can find them on Amazon. But yes, if you guys want me to talk about it, uh, anything, uh, please um, give it a shot and uh, we'll do our best. Well, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you in the next one.